It is Friday, October the 28th, 2022. Welcome to episode 60 of Tone the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. It is a production of John Boy Media. It's David Cohn. It's James Smythe and myself, Justin Shackle. Producer Dan Rourke along for the ride as well. This and every episode throughout the postseason is presented by Soto, And the World Series begins tonight with the Astros and the Phillies. It is Houston's fourth trip to the World Series in the last six seasons. It's Dusty Baker's third trip to the World Series as a manager, and the big question, can the Astros finally get past a wildcard team coming out of the NL East in uh, the Phillies, who are making their first postseason trip in 11 years really count? Uh, guys, we talk about pitching on this podcast. Safe to say, pitching's pretty good all around in this one. What do you think? Definitely is. I mean, there's still a contrast in styles, though, if you, if you look at it. I mean, a veteran manager and Dusty Baker and a rookie manager in Rob Thompson – more of an, an offensive slugger minded team in the Phillies, obviously Bryce Harper leading the way along with Schwarber versus the, the Astros who are top to bottom, just a loaded with pitching depth so much. So we haven't seen all of their weapons yet. I mean, really they, they, they haven't had a chance to even use all, all the weapons they have in terms of the pitching side. So I, I still kind of see it other than obviously Nola and Wheeler on the Phillies at the top of their rotation are, are certainly very formidable, but I kind of still see this as a, uh, sluggers versus pitchers and uh, a veteran manager trying to get to the to the hall of fame versus a, a rookie manager who has a tremendous story finally getting his shot after paying his dues all the years in, in the minor leagues power against power it's great pitching versus great hitting home run reliant offenses big sluggers on both sides and the pitching has been great in this postseason for both teams the astros you really could have uh, seen that coming a mile away considering the staff they had they allowed the fewest runs by any American League team in 50 years in the regular season, and they've been dominant in the post. The starters with a 2.770 ERA, that's pretty good. The bullpen even better, 0.82 for the Astros. But the Phillies, they've turned some heads because they had a 2.96 ERA in the postseason going into this. And the bullpen is what's really turned heads here because they had the 23rd-ranked bullpen ERA for the season. And this October – during this pennant run, 3.19, Sir Anthony Dominguez, a breakout star as he's been putting up zeros and going multiple innings in games. If the Phillies are able to come out on top here, Sir Anthony Dominguez is going to be a big factor in it for the Philadelphia Phillies. But James, you said it, power against power. We thought the same thing heading into the ALCS with the Yankees. Only thing is the Yankees weren't exactly slugging at that point in time heading into the ALCS. The Phillies are. So... This is very intriguing, could hold more true to that theory than we saw in the ALCS. And really quick, before we get to this World Series breakdown, briefly want to touch on some more aftermath from the Yankee season ending, particularly one report that came out over the last day or so, came from Andy Martino of SNY. He, he reported that more than one Yankee player uh, told his agent that playing at Yankee Stadium during the ALCS was, quote, an unusually brutal experience. And it was just a report that was talking about fan toxicity, so to speak, and how it's more than ever weighing really heavily on the Yankee clubhouse, the player personnel. It's, you know, created an extra burden, so to speak. And it just adds to the layer of, hey, it's really tough to, to play in New York. 
covering the team on the daily, um, I could kind of see where this story is coming from. I'm kind of torn and how to, you know, w- which way to go on it a little bit. I think you can see parts that are true from both sides. Also, um, part of me just thinks it's it's part of playing here. I think that just still is is an accurate thing that you could say to, to a story like this. I'm just curious what you guys think about uh, this story coming out in the aftermath of, of the Yankees season uh, in a way that no one's pretty happy about. Well, it, you know, I, I sort of question the description, you know, especially brutal, right? Especially brutal to watch. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was I mean, which side of it were you on? So, yeah, all those strikeouts, all those lack of runs, all the passion of the Yankee fans sort of met right in the middle. And, and of course, there's going to be booze because the, the, there just wasn't enough action. There was too many strikeouts and not enough runs. The passion was there. The excitement to match up with Houston once again was there. And that's the price you pay in New York because the passion's so high, you got to take the good with the bad. I mean, it was electric in Yankee Stadium. I mean, outside the stadium after the Cleveland Game 5 win, the chance of we won Houston were palpable. I mean, you could hear it, and certainly we saw it on social media. I was there. I heard it outside the stadium, you know, as I left. It was incredible. That's the beauty of the Yankee, Yankee fan base is that passion. And what comes with that is, yes, you're going to hear some boos when they get let down. And it was brutal. It was brutal to watch. It's, I'm sorry. It was. I, I would say the same thing. If I was a player in that clubhouse, I would say, hey, you know, we, we, we didn't bring it. We just we deserve to get booed. You got to own the booze when you don't score, when you strike out, when you don't have competitive games or if you're a pitcher and you give it up, you've got to You've got to own it and just say, you know what? I just I would have booed me. You know, Aaron Judge handled it well. They asked Aaron Judge after the game, you know, when he got booed and that was. In particular, I think the the center of the debate is centered around how could you boo a guy who hit 62 home runs and had that kind of a regular season? Well, it was a tough postseason. The the hopes were so high that the boos came out of disappointment. And Aaron Judge handled it well. He said, hey, I need to play better. John Carlos Stanton handled it well, said we need to play better. So who who are these whispers? Yeah, was it especially brutal? Well, yeah, it was brutal because it was brutal to watch. So what do you expect? They played a few of their worst games at the worst time. And like you said, Coney, it's if, if you don't like it, play better. The fans will cheer when you play well and win, and they'll boo when you play poorly and lose. It doesn't seem uh, that complicated. Uh, the fans, what is uh, what, did, what do you say Buck Showalter always says? The fans, they come to cheer. They come to cheer yep. the Yankees. They don't come to boo. And as far as the fans after the Cleveland series, I think uh, you might have been poking the bear by chanting, we want Houston. Uh, after how they've been doing the last few years. I don't think the uh, the citizens of Amity Island would be chanting, we want the shark in Jaws. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if that's a very good idea. But uh, as far as it being an unusually brutal experience, it was an unusually brutal series. I don't think people would have really been shocked to see the Astros 106-win team beating a 99-win Yankee team in the ALCS if it was you know a six-game series or even a five-game series, I think the fact that it was a sweep really sticks in the craw of a lot of people. I think if you're a player, you can't talk about how brutal the experience is, but before all of this goes down, talk about how amazing the playoff atmosphere is, how everything you heard about it is electric. You can't make both quotes, right? You can't also, uh, you know, you can't walk back on the, you know, the season's a failure if you don't win the championship. I mean, we've heard 
generations now of people within the organization, whether it is George Steinbrenner, whether it's members of the teams you played on, David, or now just a couple of days ago, Aaron Judge echoed the same sentiment. You can't, you can't have that type of heightened expectation and then think that this whole situation is brutal from, from the fans' perspective. That is their expectation. So I think, um, you know, part of me thinks that the, the Bronx and just fans in general, they kind of burn hotter now more than ever when you're not doing well. Uh, at the same time, I think inside that clubhouse, you may need to do a better job finding a way to harden up a little bit more and not be as shell-shocked to, to certain circumstances that come your way. It's a great point, you know, and just, just a final note on this. I, you know, I went on the Michael K show yesterday and made this point, <clears throat> excuse me, fans have never been more knowledgeable about the game. Um, the public data that's available, whether it's fan grass, baseball savant, I mean, you can follow along, get it more information than ever before. And the fans, when they boo, it's not just booing a singular player. Sometimes it's booing the decision-making process over a five or six year period. And if you want to go around since the, you know, the baby bomber era from, you know, when Aaron judge first showed up, now's a good time to sort of take note. Okay. What's happened over these six years, you know, when Gary Sanchez and, and Aaron judge showed up and in the decision-making process over those six years, you know, what players could have been Yankees, what players were passed over. Maybe these were sound decisions by the front office, but nonetheless, when you look at Bryce Harper killing it in Philly, when you look at Justin Verlander knocking you out once again, a guy you could have traded for in 2017, supposedly, we don't know the exact details. Brian Cashman could probably refute all of these things, but nonetheless, these are what the fans see. So you got Verlander, Manny Machado killing it in San Diego. You got Bryce Harper killing it in Philly. The list goes on and on. We won't even get into the shortstop class of mm -hmm. last year, but that's part of the decision-making process as well. You know, okay, uh, we're, we're going to trade for Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. No good guys love Isaiah Kiner Falefa, but the fan base, when they boo Isaiah Kiner Falefa, it's more booing the front office and the decision making process behind that. And, and James Smythe said it perfectly in our last episode it's not his fault that he's not Carlos Correa. That's the best way you could put it. But nonetheless, you know, the, the vitriol and the boos are coming from sort of a six year collective decision making process. And I'm not saying that it was right or wrong, I'm just saying it is what it is. That's what we hear. You know, if you've got your ear to the ground of, of the Yankee universe, that's what they're talking about. Why isn't Bryce Harper a Yankee? He wanted to be a Yankee. What, what happened there? Why didn't we even engage him? Well, Brian Cashman would refute that and say, hey, we traded for Giancarlo Stanton. We don't know all the decision-making processes that were going on during that time. But that's what the fan base sees. They're saying, wait a minute, what, what was the decision-making process? Now's the time after six years to look back and sort of second-guess and say, could have zigged when we, you know, should have zigged when we should have zagged or whatever expression you want to throw in there. It's valid. There's a lot of really great players in there that could have been Yankees. And why are they not? And that is the question. And that's where a lot of the vitriol and the booze are coming from. The general tone of, of the article is that the, the hostile environment could detract players from coming to New York in the future and may be a reason why someone like Aaron judge uh, chooses to go elsewhere in free agency. Look, we hear it time and again, and it is very true. The Yankees take care of their players like no other club in Major League Baseball. And if you don't like it, if it's too much for you, again, it's a it's a product of the product that you're putting out there for the fans to see. So uh, I know it sounds harsh, but uh, do better. I think that's the the general reaction you can have to this article 
uh, from, from Andy Martino at, at SNY. If you are a baseball player, in, in particular a baseball pitcher, and you want to take your game to the next level, the Rapsodo 2.0 unit is the best in the business. It is remarkable. It gives you all the data that you would ever want to analyze your pitching, to get into pitching design, whether you're studying your spin rate, your release point, the vertical and horizontal movement on your pitches that really everybody's using nowadays. Who's anybody? Major League Baseball teams use it. Colleges use it. Amateurs use it. You can get this unit and it can really help you develop your talent develop your skills, and to understand exactly what you're doing with the baseball. The Rapsodo machine shows you exactly how your, your, your pitches move, the spin on it, the movement. You can use that to help design your pitches. It is a remarkable unit. I highly recommend it. You just have to go to rapsodo.com slash jomboy and click in the link in the description to get a special discount up to $1,000 off of Rapsodo's pitching 2.0 unit. Go get it. You want to find out how to pitch design? You want to find out how to do it like the big leaguers are doing it? That's where you go. Go get it. Get your discount. Get the Rapsodo 2.0 unit. All right. World Series preview. Astros and the Phillies. Uh, the Phillies flipped Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler for games one and two. Strategically, is there anything to that other than Wheeler receiving more rest? You know, it's possible in a seven-game series, you start to line up, okay, uh, one and five, and then who can relieve in seven, you know, nowadays. It used to be one, four, and seven. You, your number one starter could go three starts in, in a postseason. I'm not sure that's the case anymore, although I'm sure maybe maybe it's possible. You know, it depends on being on the inside. But I kind of view Nola as being a little more durable than Wheeler in terms of leaning on him a little bit more if you're going to use him potentially three times in the series, you get into a game seven and you get two days rest and Nola can come in in relief or maybe even, you know, something can give you something in that spot. Whereas Wheeler and, and his arm history maybe isn't, isn't the guy you'd want to lean on three times in a series. So maybe that's why they flipped. It's just speculation on my part, but you have uh, co-aces there, you know, <laughs> you have one and one a, so it's, you're splitting hairs a little bit. Both are great. Number one starters. But that could be a reason why Nola is going first. Well said. And giving Wheeler the extra rest, he's had a, he had an IL stint late in the season. This pushes him back a little more. They've leaned on these two guys a lot. Remember early on, we wondered going into the earlier in this postseason, how many innings are they going to be able to get out of their high end pitchers? Wheeler, Nola, and and then higher on in the bullpen, Alvarado, Dominguez. They've gotten sixty percent of their innings this postseason out of four pitchers, Wheeler and Nola in the rotation, Alvarado and Dominguez in the bullpen. That's the formula for Philly. If you're able to get Wheeler extra rest, have at it. And now you have Nola lined up for one and two, Wheeler for two and six. Wheeler gets two road games in Houston in this World Series. Nola's coming off uh, an NLCS performance in game two, uh, six runs over four and two thirds. Anything that he did against the Padres that causes concern for you? Not especially, no. Um, you know, I, I can't say, you know, when you're looking at a small sample size like that and one start or a couple of innings or a couple of sequences that, that you see anything that really stands out. I just know that, you know, Wheeler's um, velocity's up finally. You know, he, they were talking about him during the regular season is creeping up throughout the course of the season and that his velocity continued to get better while it finally peaked. 
he's back to his peak level in the postseason, up to around 97 miles an hour. As far as Nola goes, he's always going to be a breaking ball artist. His curveball is elite, one of the best in the game, the spin, the shape of it. The command that he has of it is one of the best starters curveballs in the game. So, I, you know, I, not, I, they're a bit of a contrast in styles. One's a true power guy. One's more of a breaking ball artist. But I don't really see anything that especially stands out. I think it's interesting. You saw a little hiccup there from, from Nola. You had Justin Verlander against the Mariners in the division series, not look as sharp, looked a little bit better against the Yankees in the ALCS, which say a lot better comparing it to that start against Seattle. But it's – interesting nola and verlander kind of have something to prove a little bit in in game one and at the same time it leads me to ask between the two teams who's the best starting pitcher that we have in this world series well i think you still have to give it to verlander in the year he's had and his pedigree without a doubt Um, and the first start he had against the yankees when you look at that start and the way he really locked it in and made adjustments on the fly he put on a clinic on what a veteran pitcher can do in a big game. And even though the Yankees had him sort of, uh, I wouldn't say on the ropes, but had a chance to break through for your second, third, one out. I think that's when he really started to lock it in. I think he struck out Donaldson, I believe, or in that situation, among others. And then he went on to strike out 11 batters. Uh, to me, it was a clinic and how to make quick adjustments on the fly. That's what a veteran can do. That's why he's so valuable. He's still powerful. He hasn't really lost that much on, on his fastball. Uh, and uh, he, he, to me, he's the guy you trust with the ball in a big game because he knows how to maneuver his way through and keep, keep the damage at a minimum. So, uh, you know, that the, still on top of his game, going to win the Cy Young Award, uh, is a veteran that, that has been through so many different battles that he knows exactly what to expect. And as far as the trust factor, I don't know that if I was a manager or a pitching coach, that there's any starting pitcher in the game today that has a higher trust factor than, than Justin Verlander would give you. It's Verlander, both the, the season that he had, the career that he's had, and the fact that he, he's coming off a good start. It's not like he, he had the bad start against Seattle, got back on track against the Yankees. One thing that's really interesting about Verlander in the postseason is that he has a strong postseason career, 3-5-5 ERA. He's won plenty of big games, plenty of great, great signature starts. Strangely enough, he is 0-6 with a 5-6-8 ERA in the World Series. He has a 3-0-4 ERA in every other round before the World Series. But you mentioned, Justin, you, he's got a little something to prove in this game. He does. And that World Series fact is going to be bouncing around, I'm sure, on the Fox broadcast uh, come come Friday night. That's the stat line they're going to probably be flashing a lot uh, coming up here in game one, just to kind of add an extra wrinkle to this storyline. Something that uh, Dave Adler from MLB.com, who deals a lot with uh, data and does a great job of doing it, he, he pointed out the fact that Justin Verlander is going to be the – uh, pitcher basically since the pitch tracking began in 2008 he's going to be the oldest pitcher and there have only been eight starting pitchers who have thrown a pitch in the postseason age 39 or older who's has the average the highest average postseason fastball velocity like verlander's fastball velocity not going down anytime soon 95.4 miles per hour that's the highest average postseason fastball velocity for a pitcher 39 years or older, uh, Bartolo Colon, 
was next in in 2013. But you mentioned it, David. The fastball life is as good as ever. Um, yeah, conventional wisdom, I guess, would say it is Justin Verlander. But just to go in a disagreement with both of you, I'm going to pick Zach Wheeler here just just to make it a little more interesting. Uh, his his entire postseason line, four starts. 25 strikeouts and 25 and a third, just three walks. He's delivering 118, uh, 118 batting average against uh, Wheeler's locked in. And I really do like him on the road. Like if you have to pick a pitcher to go out in, in an opposing ballpark on the road and give his team a lift, Zach Wheeler for me over the last two years or so, he's one of the pitchers that I'm, I'm taking here. So this is one of the very few instances in which I'm picking against Justin Verlander, maybe because of his age. So uh, a little a little different wrinkle here from from me. I'll go with Zach Wheeler. Um, good, it's a good pick. He's throwing rockets with again. That. Yeah, he's yeah. throwing rockets. He's got the one seven eight ERA this postseason, and he's had big games on the road. He had the wild card opener in St. Louis, six and a third shutout innings. He had uh, a, three runs and in six innings and in a loss in Atlanta, but then San Diego, the LCS opener on the road, seven shutout innings with eight Ks as he outdueled you Darvish. So he's a guy that you will trust in a big spot in games two and maybe a game six on the road in Houston. All right. How about this matchup? And you could say right off the bat, Oh, obviously the pitcher is the guy because uh, the hitter is going to be playing in every single game. But when you take a look at game one on Friday, Justin Verlander versus Bryce Harper, Harper in the batter's box there, who needs to set the tone more in this game one battle? Oh, well, it's, it, it's, it's a classic matchup, right? And can Bryce Harper continue on this torrid pace that, that he's, he's been on and how much does, how much does do the, uh, do the days off matter? <clears throat> We're going to recycle all the, uh, you know, the, the rusty quotes, you know, they've been sitting out for three or four days now and, you know, can, can you stay sharp? Who, who's that going to help? So without all that being said to me, <clears throat> it's still about Justin Verlander. The pitcher sets the tone. Uh, the hitter's always on the reactionary defensive mode, reacting to what the pitcher does. So Verlander, I expect him to throw those breaking balls down and in the key that, that he struck out Matt Carpenter on. I would expect, you know, the exact same approach to, to Harper that we saw him with Matt Carpenter. Verlander, as we remember, Aaron Boone said, really tough on left-handed batters because of that breaking ball he throws down and in on the back leg. That's going to be hard to hit for, for Bryce Harper. I'm going to go the other way, guys. And normally I'd say totally, you know, the pitcher dictates the action, right? In this case, though, I'm going to go with Bryce Harper because the Phillies are big underdogs in the series. The Astros have not lost a postseason game. So I think it's going to be big on Philly to, to get a, an early punch in, whether it's early in game one, winning game one, stealing one of the two games in Houston, whatever it is, something is going to have to establish to the Phillies and Astros. This is not going to be a pushover series. I'm with you, James. I think Bryce Harper needs to get Houston's attention early on. And uh, I think I think he needs to win this early matchup. And to borrow a pitching phrase, the Astros have had uh, three up-downs as a team in this postseason, right? They've had the long layoff. They've got back on track, been able to deliver. They're, again, undefeated right now. This is going to be the first time that the Phillies are going to be reacting off a long layoff. You think there's anything to read into that, David? Good for them. <clears throat> they, you know, they're driven by their top two starters. So it was good for them to get that extra rest. They needed it. They had the extra round of playoffs. I mean, if you look at the brackets, <laughs> the Phillies have kind of marched down the line. They've had to hit every level and use their starters, uh, you know, so much. Whereas 
Houston has already been well rested though. So they're, they're loaded for bear, so to speak. So yeah, I think the rest clearly helps Philly, <clears throat> excuse me, because of their top two starters. Also helps for a very top heavy bullpen. Hey fans of Toe on the Slab, fall is in the air and our friends at Ventero Collective have sponsored this episode to make sure all of our listeners are accessorizing their autumn outfits with premium watches, jewelry, sunglasses, and more. Their top-tier designs make sure that you look class while you save some cash. Other premium handcrafted watches have insane markups, so that's where Vincero steps in. You can have the looks of a premium lifestyle without breaking the bank. For a limited time only, get 20% off and free shipping site-wide with our exclusive code slab at vincerocollective.com that's slab s-l-a-b and whether you have a work meeting or a nice date plan the high quality watch can make a great first impression vincero offers multiple attractive designs for the modern individual it's made with surgical grade stainless steel durable silicone genuine italian marble straps these watches offer traditional automatic and japanese quartz movements in addition to their watches Vincero just launched their commuter bag. This is the ultimate travel bag specifically designed for someone who likes to look good while traveling. And this product's made of 100% recycled nylon material, so it is lightweight and you can support a sustainable cause. There are a ton of amazing products. Again, you could get 20% off and free shipping site-wide with the code SLAB at VinceroCollective.com. Again, use code SLAB at V-I-N-C-E-R-O collective.com. Accessorize your life at an exceptional price with Vincero. All right, if you are the Astros pitchers, are you going directly after Bryce Harper? I think they have shown that. They went right after Aaron Judge, so I would anticipate they go right after Bryce Harper. That's the way they're their pitching staff is they're very aggressive. Uh, they feel like they're the best. They try to set the tone. So yes, I, I would, I would anticipate that they do, uh, especially because it's Justin Verlander, you know, now maybe there's some walks in there. If Harper will let it happen, you know, Verlander's best pitch, as I said before, is kind of that back leg breaking ball that, that looks like a strike and ends up out of the zone. So for any Phillies left-handed batter, including Schwarber, that's going to be a key against Verlander's laying off of the, that particular pitch. If you can, because that's his best pitch to get out lefties. And that's what makes him so tough against lefties. So that's the, that's the particular sequences I would look for in, in those matchups. But, you know, nonetheless, it's, it's, uh, it's straight power and a veteran manager trying to get his way to the world, trying to get his way to the hall of fame. I mean, Dusty Baker leading this is certainly a big, big storyline for me as well. I think it would behoove them to go after him unless you're in a real, in a certain spot where it's just begging for, you know, pitch around spot. If there's a base open or what have you, I think there's going to be, there could be traffic on the bases with that top of the order. Schwarber, Hoskins, Real Muto. They, if, if they, they might not be in a spot where you can pitch around them, but the Astros are a good enough staff where they, if Babe Ruth stepped out of a time machine, they could be able to, to go after him pretty well. So just give match their best with your best and see where it goes. It's ironic, James, that you mentioned the top of that Phillies batting order because it hasn't changed all postseason. Bryce Harper is hitting the cleanup spot, but there is talk from Rob Thompson. Philly skippers kind of mentioned the idea of possibly moving Harper to that number three spot because there are no lefties in the Astros bullpen. So you'd have 
Schwarber, Hoskins, Harper. So Hoskins sandwiched with with two left-handers. Do you like the idea of Harper moving up to the third spot? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, and, and Houston's bullpen, um, they, they have some guys with reverse splits as well that get lefties out just as well as they do righties, including their closer because of his breaking ball and the spin that they get. I mean, Houston leads the world in spin rate on their breaking balls, and it's not even close. All of them have tremendous life and spin on their breaking stuff, which allows them to get lefties out equally as well as righties. So I'm not sure that the platoon split comes into play here as much as you'd think it would. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, you, you, you know, it's still to me, it's uh, the overall depth of the Phillies offense right now. It's not just Harper. It's a lot of the other guys have come along for the right as well. Rio Muto swinging the bat well, Hoskins swinging the bat well, at least from a power standpoint. Even down at the bottom, Segura and Stott, you know, some of the rookies have, have come through and, and gotten some big hits for them. So, you know, they averaged over five runs a, a game, you know, which is really exorbitantly high in postseason. And, and especially in a year when you know, offense is down, pitching is up. It's really the overall depth of the, of the Phillies lineup, I think, that I'm looking at here as opposed to putting all the pressure, you know, on, on, on their superstars. Uh, I, I really look that if you do pitch around Harper, as you said, Shaq, that, that somebody else is going to pick up the slack, whether it's Rio Muto or Schwarber or on down the list, Hoskins or Castellanos. You know, I, I think all of them are swinging the bat fairly well right now, at least have been coming into this as their offensive numbers say that, Come, you know, as far as uh, I think 5.2 runs a game. They're scoring coming in, coming in this postseason, coming into the World Series. Well, it's a good way to you can lengthen the lineup a little bit. You, you, instead of you have your big five at the top, Harper hitting fourth, you can kind of put them in the middle there. So you have Schwarber and Hoskins early, Real Muto and and Castellanos after him, and it could be a good spot if there's a you know uh, say there's two on and and two out in the eighth inning of a, of a tight game, and Bryce Harper's coming to the plate in the three hole. You say, oh. Good thing we had him third instead of fourth because he's coming up right now instead of maybe leading off the next inning or what have you. But the Phillies have been a great offense this postseason. They've had, you know, they've had big home runs. They've had Gene Segura golfing little pitches way out and outside the zone for for uh, bloop uh, RBI hits. All at a time where we've been talking all season about how offense has cratered. It is the same is true in the postseason. Pitching has been pitching usually steps up in the postseason, but this year, especially the MLB batting average mentioned during the year that it's down to 243 in the regular season, fifth lowest of all time. The MLB batting average this postseason is 213, the lowest in any year since 1974. Strikeout rate is as high as ever. So pitching dominant, but the Phillies offense has been able to get it done. Just to make mention of those reverse splits with the Astros pitchers in the bullpen, the two that really stick out, uh, Brian Abreu, Rafael Montero, their left-handed hitting opposing OPS numbers in the regular season, none of them were higher than 507. So, yeah, the reverse splits are definitely there for, for Houston. Um, those are two of the big weapons that the Astros have in their bullpen. James, you mentioned Two arms in the Phillies bullpen, Dominguez, Alvarado, you couple them with Wheeler and Nola. They make up like 60% of the innings that have been thrown by Phillies pitchers here this, this postseason. They obviously need more against a team like the Astros. Like, Can the Phillies continue to, I don't want to call it get by, but can they continue to succeed looking at the bullpen with the four hot arms that they have right now? Dominguez, Alvarado, you throw in 
David Robertson, Zach Eflin. Is that enough against a team like Houston? They will be tested without a doubt. Yeah, that that's probably the one area you look at. And you wonder can can it hold up? Is there enough depth there? But I think moving Eflin to the bullpen was a brilliant move by Rob Thompson and the organization. He's thrived down there, kind of a failed starter, I guess you could say. But he's really keeping the ball on the ground, down, heavy sinker, gone back to his strengths, what he likes to do, and 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 it's really paid off for him. David Robertson looked pretty good to me. You know, I know he had that freak kind of calf injury celebrating something funky happened there in his injury, but he's back and he looked pretty good and had a great year. If you saw him pinch this year, David Robertson was fully back. His cutters there, his velocities there, his stuff looks exactly like it did with the Yankees back in his peak right now on that tremendous spinning overhand curveball too, as well. So yeah, I mean, they have just enough. I think if their starters give them the link that they normally do, uh, but if they get, you know, a, an early start, if they get knocked out in the middle, middle three games, you know, they, they could come up short and they're going to need to find some innings somewhere. And generally speaking, when your starters get knocked out, you're probably out of the game anyway, or you're behind and you, you're going to rely on your offense to come back. So it's kind of hold them right there, you know, with some of your middle relievers, whoever, whoever they go to, but yeah, it, it could play. It could come up uh, if, if their starters or they get some short starts in the series. It's about the bullpen, but, at the end of the day, it's indirectly about the starters. If Wheeler and Nola do what they normally do and can pitch well, provide length, that'll help you in the long run because you know you're going to have to lean on these guys more in games three and four. So if you can get good starts in one, two, and five out of Nola and Wheeler, that sets you up better in the bullpen. Now, you look at Dominguez. He's been lights out. 117 ERA this postseason with 15 strikeouts in seven and two thirds innings. That's ludicrous. 2002 K Rod stuff. Alvarado gave up a home run in the wild card series in a big spot, but he's settled in. He's had a very good postseason. And David Robertson's back, as, as you mentioned, Coney. Don't look at Zach Eflin's 568 ERA in the postseason. He's been better than that. It's basically one blow up game that uh, against Atlanta that, that, that kind of. Uh, messed up his numbers. He's been good and he he's been good in all three series really uh, for the Phillies. And he went from starting to, he was closing for them uh, at the end of the regular season and, and in the, uh, in the Cardinals wildcard series. So the Phillies relying on these four guys. And we saw last year with the night shift, if you have four relievers who regardless of how they were doing in the regular season, if you get them locked in in October, they can carry you all the way. I think the checklist is a little extra for the Phillies over the first two games in Houston. You obviously want to try and get back to Philly with a split over the first two games, but perhaps, for, no, I guess you would need a, a win there in Houston, but you, you definitely need length from Nola and Wheeler. I think that's paramount for the reason that you just mentioned, James. More Toe in the Slab is on the way, and it is time for October baseball. I'm betting on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the World Series. Right now, DraftKings Sportsbook has a championship-worthy offer you cannot miss. New customers can bet just $5 on any World Series game and win $200 in free bets if your team wins. Want to boost your winnings? Check out DraftKings Same Game Parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Phillies, Astros, 
power pitching against some power slugging in that Phillies lineup. There's also some pretty big power pitchers in the Phillies lineup as well. Design your picks to those sluggers from the Phillies, to those power arms from the Astros. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code SLAB. Bet $5 to win $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code SLAB. The minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. MLB trademarks used with permission. Houston, 7-0, entering the World Series. David, you were on a team that finished, what, 11-1 in the postseason. It was uh, 1999, so you were nearly perfect during the postseason. If the Astros are somehow able to complete an 11-0 postseason, should they be in the discussion as one of the greatest teams ever? Well, that will always be peppered with the 2017, sort of the, uh, you know, the, the controversy surrounding that. But it is a huge, it's a huge deal for them on a number of levels. Um, it does sort of, uh, you know, show that they overcame the 2017 situation where everybody says, is, is that a real championship or not? Should there be an asterisk or not? It's kind of like the steroid era. People are going to feel like uh, feel about that championship the way they feel about it. And then there's nothing you can do about it. But if they win this one, this does have a, a sort of a little mini dynasty feel to it. And on top of that, you get Dusty Baker to the Hall of Fame. No questions asked, too, even though I think he should be there anyway. Uh, there's only eight managers in history that have won more games than Dusty Baker. And all eight of those guys have at least one World Series title. And all eight of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, do the math. I mean, it's, it's certainly uh, he's right there knocking on the door. I think he already is, should be in there, but nonetheless, a world series championship with Dusty Baker and the six year run, the Astros, it's huge for their organization, top to bottom. It kind of just, it doesn't exactly completely quiet all the talk of the controversy around 2017 and the cheating scandal, but it does sort of say, Hey, we're much more than just a team that, that stole signs. You know, we've done it for six years now. We've been back to the world series so many times we've been at the top of the American league for a six year period. And now we get to the top of the mountain and win it again. Yes. They, you, you start talking about, this is a legitimate dynasty. Now uh, who you compare it to, you know, have at it, you know, there's all sorts of debates to have there, but what they do deserve to be in that argument if they win this championship. And even if they don't, it's still a remarkable run they've had, but yes, this championship is huge for their organization to kind of put to, put to bed 2017 and say, you know what, we're much, much more than that controversy. An 11-0 postseason would be a big uh, boost for a team. Now, they already have 106 wins in the regular season, so if they do go all the way and, and finish this, they would, be, would have one of the higher win totals for a World Series champion. They need this because right now they – only championship they have during this run is 2017, which has a big cloud and asterisk from most fans. And uh, there's a reason why they are uh, reviled by a lot of by a lot of uh, big league fans out there. And that's not going away, whether they win or lose this series. But if you get this title, you could say, hey, well, we got a clean one. They also need this because they ought to have more. They lost in 2019 and in 2021 two World Series that they absolutely should have won and were the better team. And they fell, and they fell short. So that, that's a little bit of that postseason crapshoot element uh, coming into play eventually in the World Series. They lost in seven games to the Nationals. 
and then they lose in six games to the Braves. Now you're facing another uh, uh, out of the blue NL East opponent. And this is the second most lopsided World Series in terms of uh, disparity of wins in the regular season. The Astros 106 wins, the Phillies 87. That's a 19 win difference. Uh, The only bigger difference was 22 in 1906 when the 116 win Cubs faced the White Sox and they lost. So it goes to show that anything can happen in a short series, even a century ago. I think validation's on the line to prove that, you know, they can do it without any type of cheating. Vindication is there as well to show that they can finally get over the hump against uh, a wildcard team out of the, uh, out of the NLEs, get over that hump and, and yeah, validate a, a dynasty, so to speak uh, in Houston. All right. We weren't going to end this without getting your picks. So uh, throw it out into the universe guys. Who do you have in the world series? Well, this is a pitching podcast. I am biased. I am a pitcher, former pitcher, and I do believe that good pitching beats good hitting, so I'm going with the pitching. The overall depth of the Houston Astros pitching staff has proven to me that they are they have they are a cut above, and they should have the advantage. As much as I respect Philly, as much as I love that Philly fan base, how nuts they are right now, as much as I love Dave Dombrowski and the Philly ownership and everything they've done, They've done everything the right way. Blue chip players, they've gone for it in the face of people criticizing them. I just think the pitching is, is just gives Houston too much of an advantage right now. As great as it would be to see this, uh, this Cinderella run, uh, you know, finish with a championship in Philadelphia. Uh, I'm going to be boring. I'm going to be chalk and I'm going to take the Astros. Yes, Philly, we love you, but all three of us are going with the Astros here. And uh, we love Wheeler. We love Nola. The Astros simply have more pitching, cumulatively more pitching all around. And uh, I'll spice it up a bit. I say they pull off the sweep. I say they get to 11 and 0. So wow. we'll see what happens. Keep those receipts, Philly fans. Just in case. <laughs> it'd, be a great, it'd be a great upset for Philly. They, they'd go absolutely nuts. They couldn't grease enough pole, poles in Philly to, <laughs> to keep them from climbing up top. That is right. Game one coming up on Friday night in Houston. Games one and two will be at Minute Maid Park, three, four, and five in Philly, and then six and seven, uh, if necessary, back in Houston with the Astros and the Phillies. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Please rate, review, subscribe. It's always the best way you could show support for the show. For David Cohn, James Smythe, our excellent producer, Dan Work. this is Justin Shackle. We'll talk to you next time on Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Enjoy the World Series, everybody.